This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, welcome to Drinking with Authors. The pod- Did you start off by showing your drink, Jen? Like, okay, I ruined it. You did. You ruined it. <laughs> you're excited okay. about it. Okay. This is Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. With me today is... J.M. Paquette. And we have the amazing and enticing and sexy Leo Sparks today. Hello. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You are absolutely welcome. Okay, we got to talk about what we're drinking. I'm drinking from one of my Drinking with Authors swag. But I, as we all know on this podcast, I love 19 Crimes. But today I have the Snoop Dogg Cali Red edition. An entire bottle because I don't have a problem at all okay jen what are you talking what are you drinking Ooh, i'm drinking uh, a lime bubbly okay that was boring leo what drink. are you drinking i have a uh lovely oh, <gasps> gin and tonic with a little mm. lime that my boyfriend put in there for me uh you know a little we became novice bartenders at the start of the pandemic like most people so yeah that's super fancy i'm in a i'm in a blue solo cup with some hey. that's that's me that's- it's branded and I was going to say about Snoop Dogg, I recently heard that he may be among the immortals, like the celebrity immortals, and that with how much he's accomplished in his life, he's pretty much just doing side quests now. And I find that, <laughs> like, he's making wine, he's, like, doing all these things. I find that fascinating, and I believe it entirely. Yeah, I need to get to that point where I'm just doing side quests. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't we all? He already beat the game. I love it. Right? <laughs> no, it's so true. Okay. So, Leah, let's talk about, um, for our uh, listening and viewing audience, and if you're not viewing the show, you really should subscribe to our YouTube channel because it's much more fun in person. What do you, what kind of um, books do you write? Uh, I write primarily mail, mail, sometimes mail, 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 however many people in the room there are, erotica, uh, and I like to give it sort of a, a dark twist that uh, you know we got my friend Poe here I like to draw inspiration from his tales when I can there's something sexy about Poe even if the sex isn't on the page and so I feel like I'm just kind of like pulling what's already there out of it and just making it into a sexy story uh, there are so many things I can say about how you just worded that <laughs> pull it out okay anyway I haven't um, even started drinking yet or <laughs> we ready for the innuendos yeah, no, I don't. I don't have to drink to have innuendos. It's a thing. <laughs> so, can, can we talk about Edgar Allan Poe? Like, what's your what's your favorite? Oh, my favorite is the Cask of Amontillado. Okay. Like, just there's something about that the way this that story is told and the way it's paced, where you're just like, I don't know where we're going, but I'm coming with you on this journey, and I feel like this guy that's coming with you should not be, but I'm glad he is because I want to hear about it. And also the way he kind of, you know, this sympathetic um, murderer, so to speak, right? Like sympathizing with a murderer is not an easy thing to do or wanting to even hear their story. I think a lot of times we watch things where there's like the sympathetic villain, but it's like, "Mm, not quite enough. I'm not interested in what you're doing or what you have to say. But Poe just like, he's an expert, you know, he's like, you are interested enough in what this guy is doing that you're going to follow along and you don't really feel bad 
for the guy that he ends up, you know, spoiler alert, we've only had a couple, you know, a hundred years to read this, but you know, he, he kills the guy and he chains him up and he puts him behind the brick wall and you're like, yeah, he had it coming. But we don't even know what he did, which is the greatest part. You're like, is exactly. this revenge justified? I, I don't know. Is it ever justified? It raises so many yes. questions. Absolutely. Just- but that's the fun part at the end is you're sort of like, you know, I don't even know what he did. But like, I, I feel like, yeah, leave him down there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like, you know. You're on a mission. We're going to high five you for that mission. Go for it. Be the yes, best. exactly. He gave, he gave him so many chances to go back. He like, did. He really did. I mean, that that is totally fair is that because he's like the, the psychology he uses on him, too, of like, um, oh, well, you should you shouldn't even be here. You should just turn back. You're sick. I fear for your health if we continue. It's like, yeah, because he's going to kill you in like three pages. Exactly. And the, the reverse psychology of like, I don't want you to be here is what keeps the guy being like, no, fuck you. I'm going to stay. I'm going to keep going. I want this wine. And I love that, like the motivation of the two separate characters and the, you know, our, our like narrator, our, our person that we're on this journey with is really showing us, oh, I'm going to use this against him to make sure he, he it's so smart. Poe's just so, so smart. Even if it gets into this strange territory where when you lay it out, you're like, yeah, he definitely, in the Telltale Heart, for instance, he definitely killed this guy for no good reason. This guy is not mentally stable, but he writes it so expertly and poetically that you're just on that journey. You're like, yeah, let's get this guy. So why, why Usher then? Uh, the fall of the house of Usher is an interesting one to me because I feel like there's something about that, like almost being institutionalized, like where you don't leave a location very often, there's something that happens, some sort of weird magic. I mean, you could talk about, you know, schools, summer camps, like anywhere where you really can't leave and you feel compelled to stay, you will say yes to a lot of things that you would not normally say yes to. And you get used to the way things happen. And I think that's kind of what happens in the fall of the House of Usher is this guy is sort of like, I should not be here, but he just keeps complying. He just keeps doing things. So I felt like that was sort of the allure of that story as far as uh, you know, erotica and BDSM goes is like BDSM, you, you're consenting to things because you're pushing your own limits. And I think that's sort of what Alexander is doing. So let's talk about your book series since um, Jen, who read it, asked a question that nobody has any fucking idea what you're talking about. What? We appreciate that for the listening audience, Jen. We just jumped right in. Yeah. You, you, oh, yeah, you did. Okay. So maybe we go back to the beginning so the audience goes, what? So sure. talk a little bit about the House of Otter. So the House of Otter is uh, loosely inspired by the fall of the House of Usher. My little joke to myself is that the books, even though it's called the House of Otter, uh, which I'll explain Otter as well, but they also start in the fall. So it is kind of like this little joke to myself where the fall is still in the title, but not really in the title. The fall of the House of Otter sounded a little much. And it also, the title, the original title, The Fall of the House of Usher, tells you what's going to happen before it happens, right? Like, you know, oh, it's like watching the Titanic. We know what's going to happen. No one's going to be surprised. Um, but it's still the journey about getting there. How, what do we have to do to, 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 to see the house fall for it to happen, whatever. Uh, but Otter, so in the beginning of each book, 
there is an explanation of what an otter is because getting from usher to otter is kind of a, a leap for people that maybe are not in the queer community or not adjacent to the queer community. But so there's a little section in the beginning of each book that we, we're calling queer zoology, where it describes terms that maybe people aren't familiar with. And so otter is a, uh, a young man who is lean, but like very furry. So like a bear, they're in the bear community, but they're a little leaner. So the bear community, you have to keep explaining. People are oh. listening going, what is he saying? There are lots of animals involved in this. There, no, you're right. You really do need a zoology degree to, to be queer anymore. Uh, so uh, a bear, the bear community is comprised of so many different types of people really. Um, but it's, I'd say primarily gay men that are hairy and uh, maybe a little like bigger, you know, they're like guys that would have been football players if they had been like, you know, straight. But they just, yeah, they're just, you know, it's a fascinating community and I love being part of it. I self-identify as a sugar cub or sugar bear since I'm like getting up there in the years. I guess I have to be a bear now. Um, but, I, you know, for years I was a sugar, sugar cub, meaning I was a little, you know, um, I guess smiley or flamboyant for the, the bear community. So that's the sugar part. But yeah. <laughs> all of this and one thing I do want to mention for everybody because we talk about our publication company a lot on this which is Four Horsemen Publications but Leo Sparks is one of our authors and we are completely thrilled to have him as part of our family for well, thank you. also the voice and it's amazing so um, House of Otter the first book in that series originally was Claiming Alexander but there's a Before Alexander now yes so yeah, it started with Claiming Alexander, and the more I thought about the lore of the entire thing, um, we do have another, I suppose he's the villain. I don't know, villain's kind of a, for anybody who's read it, it's kind of like, who's the villain? Who's the antagonist? That's really, a, you know, the question. But I wanted to get into the backstory of this other older character who is not one of the young men in the house. He's, you know, he is also an otter, but he's a different kind of um, character and I really wanted to understand his backstory and so that's we go back a couple decades and we kind of hear the story of how he ended up in his position and I like that you can read before Alexander first you can read it after it will answer the questions to the entire timeline but it doesn't have to be read first or at the end it can be read kind of whenever it does I think frame it in a different way so if you would rather start at, you know, the beginning, beginning in the, in the sort of, which one's the first Star Wars movie? It's like that, you know, like technically number four is like the real number one. Like if you start at one, it's going to be a whole mess. Yeah. It's kind of like that. I don't know enough about Star Wars. Honestly, I date geeks, but I'm like geek adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me started on my entire Star Wars and which is the first one and which is there. We're not going to go there. Cause I'll, but you know ah, what I mean. <laughs> ah, um, what was your question, Jen? I was saying it's a new hope. You start with a new hope. Otherwise it ruins everything. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think you should just ignore the other three, but anyway, <laughs> moving on. So the thing about your book though, is it's not just gay erotica. You touched on this earlier, but it has BDSM, but not like cute 50 shades of gray made up, not real BDSM. It has true BDSM. So what made you go down that route with that part of the story? I think specifically the way that Alexander starts in the story where he's, he's looking for something, he's sort of called to this thing. It's not to say that submission for him is necessarily the answer, 
but he's drawn to it because it unlocks something, this space in his head that he's not able to access on his own. And it, I think it helps him, even though he goes through some trials and tribulations, um, you know, I think it was, it was worth the experience for him to understand this, this part of himself that maybe um, he couldn't get to before. And I think in the BDSM community, there is a lot of that, that it's a release for a lot of people. It's not, it's play, of course, and it's consensual play. I like to uh, make sure even if something seems not 100% consensual in the, in the stories, like it, you know, it's very important to me that people know that within the BDSM community, consent is super important. And he, Alexander is consenting to this play. Um, but I wanted to show that facet of it, like learning about it, you know, from his perspective, but um, also the change in his perspective that happens. I think, that, I think it's amazing because I also think doing, um, correct, uh, I don't want to say justice, I don't like that term. I want to say correct. Um, like it's an accurate depiction. There you go. That's much better wording than my wine-fueled life was about. <laughs> well, and you're, <laughs> you're right, because I think when people hear BDSM within a book, it's sensationalized, and it's, it's going to be overly violent or a lot of, um, you know, keeping something from somebody against their will. And, and it, it just feels a little, I don't know if the word is icky, but like, it just feels like they're taking something that really does exist out there for people. And it is not only fun for people, but, uh, you know, it's a real exercise in their daily life that helps them, you know, keep getting through life. And I don't think turning that into something too sensational and too, you know, over the top really does that community any sort of, you know, justice, like you said, a representation. I like the word representation better. I don't like justice because I feel like justice is, say is saying that it has to be explained versus doing correct research. Because you talked about the zoology and the terminology. And I think it's an important point that you know, we talk about doing a lot of research on this show mm -hmm. and there is own voice, but there's also taking the steps and the effort to learn a community, learn and understand terminology, speak to it. So if you're going to talk about something that's not your own voice, that you learn it enough and understand it enough and comprehend it enough to talk about it versus Diet Coke, I want to throw this naughty scene in so they're tied up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to Google a couple images and I'm going to make up shit. Right. And the community is going, what is that person talking about? Yeah, that's not the way it happens. Like, that's <laughs> it. yeah, it's not fair for people that want to see themselves on the page. And, the, you know, a writer not doing enough research to make sure those people are represented accurately. It just, yeah, it's it's not really fair because you go into it expecting something like, oh, this person un understands my life or has tried to understand my life or my lifestyle or whatever the case may be. And then you're like, no, no, that's no, <laughs> not so much. Do you think uh, how, so you, um, completed this particular series and we're going to talk about what's coming up because I'm going to get this on record as your publisher too. So <laughs> that's that's fair. I can refer back that to. is fair. <laughs> but, um, so you did this journey with these books. How did it feel being able to communicate these books, some degree of own voice and also writing from a standpoint, because, you know, we found of course doing research that a lot of male on male romance and erotica are written by women. Yeah. versus male and that's not bad i'm not going to say it's bad but it's no. not own voice right 
Right, right. And I, I, it's funny because I didn't realize there was controversy, controversy within the community about that, that there are women that will write under, you know, male sounding pen names in order to publish this erotica. And I feel like that's even more interesting because a lot of my readers are women. <laughs> like a lot of the readers that reach out to me are, you know, into this, you know, male, male erotica, and they just enjoy reading it, even if it's not something that they, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot we could go into as far as the psychology of why there's a lot of women that read male, male erotica. But if the readership is mixed, what's the problem with having writers that are, you know, within different genders, as long as they are doing this, you know, the material justice, you know, so, but I do find that, that that that's the case out there is a lot of these uh, authors I've connected with that are also writing male, male erotica are primarily women. It's very interesting. Do you find that um, on the whole, and not every single one, because we're not categorizing, but do you feel that they do enough research that they get enough of the correct view to write it? I I would hope so. I, I mean, anybody that I've read, I felt like, you know, human emotion and human sexual response is is somewhat universal. I mean, yeah, there's going to be little, you know, specifics here and there for different types of, you know, sexual contact between people. Um, but I think if you understand human emotion and sexuality, you're, you're probably going to get it right. I mean, for the, for the most part, there's going to be little things, but I don't think there's anything you, you couldn't learn from, um, from reading or, you know, watching a little porn hub or, you know, something you're going to get the basic idea. And what we're trying to touch on is the, that feeling not necessarily the, the, the specifics that you encounter if you're actually a man having sex with another man, but the emotion that comes with a relationship and sex. And I think that as long as that comes across, you're going to, you know, you're going to write a hit. Unless they, you know, I don't, I've never seen a writer like a, you know, an author in male, male erotica just like make something up that didn't happen. And if they did, if you can come up with something new in gay sex, good for you because we've been trying so <laughs> i will take it i will learn oh my goodness <laughs> i love that okay so let's talk about let's rewind let's rewind yeah. to the beginning when did you start writing when i start writing in general yes like, oh goodness so um I would say sometime in elementary school was the first time I got caught writing in my notebook instead of doing work. And it just never stopped after that. Um, I wrote this uh, silly story that my mom still has about the cat who had puppies. And it was a little short story written in like Crayola marker about how, you know, oh, well, the cat had puppies and she loved them anyway. And it was great. And then I think I wrote something kind of like probably derivative of the the ugly duckling that was like the ugly kitten i was obsessed with cats when i was young i'm not gonna lie like i was the original <laughs> cat boy and i just I, I went through a phase where teachers would be like okay you have to, to read this amount of books and i'm like listen i'm here for it i want to read books but you're gonna have to give me stuff with cats in it or i'm not reading it and so the teachers had to come up with like stacks of like, this has a cat, this has a cat. I must've read socks. I can't remember who wrote that Beverly, not Beverly clearly, but so it's clearly, but somebody liked that. I read that book a million times. I was like, can I just read socks again? It's about, it's from the POV of a cat. I'm here for it. Um, but so from, from then on, I, I kept writing. I wrote a little novel about a, uh, a girl who thinks she's an alien. And, uh, I, and I mean, I can remember 
writing in high school, you know, just like, oh, I'm supposed to be paying attention. Oh, let me just fill these composition notebooks with fiction and, and you know, personal essays and stuff up until, you know, any job that I, I was recently working at a, an escape room. And in between people, they'd be like asking me for things like, hey, I need a clue. And I'm like, hold on one second. I'm like still writing, like sitting there. So yeah, it started as an early age. And I don't, I feel like we don't have a choice to be writers. I really do believe this. So it's not like something you're just like, man, I'm not into this anymore. It just, it, it's there. It's a, it's a voice that's in your head that you just have to get out. And that makes sense. So, um, wait, so you said, what was your first published works? Uh, under, uh, as not Leo Sparks, I mean, not to pull the curtain down, but I do write under a different name. And uh, I started seriously publishing around 2016 before that I was just sort of you know I thought it was you know writing for fun writing for whatever and it was about 2016 where I went to a writer's group I went to uh for the first time this is what happens you go through bad breakups and then there's like this part of you that's like hold on bitch you're talented you've got things you've got to go out and you got to like remember that you are that bitch and and that's what happened. So I went out, I had a bad breakup, 2016, went to this reading event, not necessarily a critique, but just like read your work and we'll all clap for you and it will be great. And that connecting with other writers for the first time opened up these doors I didn't even know existed. I was able to read my work and share it and get feedback. And, you know, that went on to me joining critique groups. And so uh, all that to say that, um, I think my first, I don't know what my first publication was, but I've been in some literary journals. Um, I've been working on a short story collection uh, that has some pieces out there. I don't know if you've ever heard of Taco Bell Quarterly. I'm in the Taco Bell Quarterly. No, but that sounds <laughs> wonderful. That was the thing, like the restaurant? Yes. Okay. So listen, if people don't know about this, if writers do not know about this, you need to go to Taco Bell Quarterly, I think.com. There is an amazing literary journal. It's legit. And it's all about Taco Bell and there's different themes. And these, these creators, these people that put it together do an amazing job. They really, really do. There's a lot of queer people involved and it's just about love for Taco Bell, memories of Taco Bell, uh, my piece is about how my hometown, um, you know, in Southwest Florida, burn the, the only Taco Bell burned down a couple years ago. And it was so tragic. And it was odd how tragic it was, because it's just a building. But when you're in a small town, especially, you know, a small beach town in Florida, there's nothing to do. So everybody used to hang out outside the Taco Bell. And now all those kids had nowhere to go and nowhere to hang out. And it was just devastating. I mean, I'm at that point, I was living in Las Vegas. I was clear across the country. But I, uh, I just I wrote a little poem slash personal essay about it. And it ended up in Taco Bell Quarterly. And so that's one of my favorite. Oh, I was also nominated for the Best of, a Net, Best of the Net Award for that piece. So that's why I'm proud of that one. It was a good one. You know, awesome. I worked at Taco Bell three different times in my life. <sighs> you should write about it. I'm going to write about it. Now yes. that I know about it, I'm going to write about it because I had, I started when I was, wow, pretty young. So talk about, a lot of people don't know this as we're getting sidetracked as I'm talking about it. Taco Bell is a worthy subject. It is a worthy subject. So a lot of people don't realize Taco Bell decided, oh my God, like 20 years ago to serve breakfast, right? <laughs> I'm going to, everybody can see my lovely gray hair. So I don't give a shit. Um, so, uh, and this is not dyed. This is, you know, now, no, it's totally dyed. I get somebody, <laughs> um, but, uh, they, 
decided to serve quote unquote breakfast, but not actual fucking breakfast. They decided people wanted fucking burritos at seven o'clock in the morning. So I was on the early shift. I would get there at 5 a.m. And that's back when we actually cook the meat, slice the tomatoes, slice the lettuce. Like all that shit comes in bags now. But we had to like actually make the food. And I would get there at 5 o'clock in the morning by myself, make all the food, be ready to open at 7 a.m. To which nobody came for like two, three hours. Because nobody wants to eat that. Yeah, a burrito at 7 a.m. Only at 3 a.m. Yes. Yeah. There the is. open late, done. But the yes. open at 7 o'clock in the morning, I remember. And what was interesting is, just so everybody's listening, there was a time limit on how good the food was for. Like, you couldn't keep certain food for longer than a few hours. So I'd be sitting there, and I'm like, they're literally just wasting food. Oh, my God. Because you just had to toss it. And be like, hey, do you have coffee? No. <laughs> We have Coke or Pepsi, Wait, whatever the fuck. You serve breakfast, but not coffee? But that's terrible. It was literally like they took their menu and decided to open at 7 a.m. And I, well, they employed me. I will give them credit. It was minimum wage was like four seventy five an hour. And I was working there. But it was totally interesting to me because at the time, even at the time, I was like, what the fuck are they thinking? And I'd be yeah. sitting there with all of this food and nothing happening. So I'd end up, I, what I ended up doing, Taco Bell can't sue me. It's 20 years later. I'm sure statute of <laughs> limitations has expired. But I started just telling all of my very broke friends, like, come, because I'm just going to throw this food away. Yeah. At, like, get some beans. You can't keep it that long. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a kind of a, a no man's land or like a, a this Four o'clock is kind of where it cuts off, maybe 4.30. But when you hit 5 a.m., nobody wants burritos until, like, noon. You got to kind of, like, either stay open 24 hours and just hope some people roll in or, like, just, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. You should write about that, though, because I feel like that firsthand experience of what it's like to have to look at all this food and be like, this was a mistake. No, totally. I will. I'm, I'm that done, done. That's going to happen now because I, I did that. And then when I moved to New Mexico for a brief period of my life, I have many layers. There's so many layers to the story. <laughs> like and a parfait. It's yes. a parfait. Um, I ended up going to Taco Bell and this was my job interview. I gave them my application. They're like, oh, you've worked here before. I'm like, yeah, cool. When can you start? Like, it didn't matter what the fuck I had done or how long I had been there. Like you've cooked this shit before. You can come do this. That's great. Oh, my God. And I I love that it was in New Mexico, too, because that's the place where all the architecture has, like, very certain, like, even if you're a McDonald's, you still have to do, like, the green and the Southwest look, which I love. No, totally. And what's funny, though, too, is New Mexico has, um, like, Texas and some other places, has some amazing Mexican food. It's right (laughs) on the border of Mexico. And yet there are Taco Bell. Who the... Because Taco Bell is barely Tex-Mex, honestly. So it's like, it's like really mediocre Tex-Mex, like quick service. So, I mean, you're competing with these authentic Mexican Tex-Mex type restaurants. And it's like, oh, would you like a soggy bean burrito? You know? That's like going, going to Italy and eating at like Olive Garden. Right. Exactly. exactly. No, it's totally that. <laughs> I was amazed how much business because 
the one thing I will say about Taco Bell is that the food is consistent. It doesn't taste different. The one thing about good fast food restaurants is the food doesn't taste different no matter where you go to eat it. That's true. Yeah. The other thing that they had in New Mexico was a 25 cent hamburger stand that as a child I thought was fucking amazing because they had burgers that were 25 cents. This wasn't White Castle. They were whole burgers for 25 cents. As an adult, though, I don't want anything that's 25 cents that's a fucking burger. Because now you're like, like, what's wrong with it? What's in it? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. As a kid, I was like, 30,000 fucking burgers! (laughs) Now I'm like, I would not eat that shit if you paid me. No. Yeah, you, you kind of got to pay attention to things like that. It's like if I have to look at the ingredients on like my skincare, like I think I probably can't eat that twenty-five cent burger. Yeah, just saying. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, we went in a weird direction. We have to take a quick break. And, oh, I love drinking. We will be right back. This is the voice of Drinking with Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is: Hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And we're back. Not talking about Taco Bell anymore. So... You um, got published um, Taco Bell Quarterly. Is that what it is? Yeah, Taco Bell Quarterly. Um, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I'm in um, a literary magazine called Vagabonds, Vagabonds uh, by Weasel Press. Um, a few other things that I should probably like actually remember the credentials. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, this is my first um, long form i should say uh dive into to long form even though they're all novellas they're they're long form for me because short fiction and personal essays were really my thing for a very long time and i've enjoyed like getting to explore that world of um you know really getting more time with characters than i'm used to i'm used to like how can you squeeze everything you need to say into 1500 words and now i'm like all right i get to really explore this world It's interesting you say that, though, because I think a lot of authors, and you're listening authors, and I love you, I have the ability to write short stories. I have that ability. It's a thousand words I can write. Jen's shaking her head. I'm going to get to this point in a minute. I can write. You can write short stories very well. I cannot. That's what that was. No, and there's so many authors that can't fucking write short stories. They can't stop themselves. You're like, you have 10,000 words. 50,000 words later, they submit the thing and you're like, cool, cool, cool. So we're going to write a book. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, kind of wrote a book. Accidentally wrote a book. Sorry. Yeah. And (laughs) it's so fascinating because I think it is an amazing skill to be able to condense a story and tell just that story. Because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people, and I, I really want your viewpoint on this. When I write a story, I remember that I'm really writing a scene or a couple of scenes. I'm not giving the back history. I'm not giving what's about to happen. I am literally just telling you about what's happening in that moment. And that's how I can write a short story. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about being on a show and drinking Snoop Dogg wine. (laughs) And I don't have to tell you why the fuck I'm drinking Snoop Dogg wine or where I got Snoop Dogg wine or why I think this is fucking amazing. Everybody should drink this. But... um, (laughs) 
best $10 bottle of wine on the planet. Um, I don't have to do all of that. I just go, I'm drinking Snoop Dogg wine. And, but I mm -hmm. think a lot of people cannot do that. They get so engrossed with, I'm going to create the world around why I'm drinking Snoop Dogg wine. I would love your perspective on that. I think there's two ways to go about it, right? Like you could handle it that way of I'm just writing a scene. This is, there's no exposition. There's, there's no sort of indication of where things are going to go. Just come inside the window and shut it on your way out. See ya. Or there's the, I'm going to open this door to you and I'm not going to like anything that's going to come out of my mouth is going to tell you everything you need to know about me as the character, right? And, and nothing else. Every line is going to hit you so hard it hurts. And there's going to be nothing that feels like overkill. There's like, you can't cut. I love, I love writing a story where I feel like at the end, I can't cut anything because every line is there for a reason. Every line is set up for the next thing and the next thing. And you get a portrait of this person's entire life with 1500 words, even by just telling them about this one thing that happened. Um, in the short story collection that I'm, I'm trying to get out there, which is an odd thing because it's framed um, in something that the entire piece can no, not be longer than 20,000 words. I won't give away the whole thing, but um, there's no way for me to make it longer. This is what it's going to be uh, just because of the frame narrative. And there's a story in there that talks about an entire world that is outside of our world. Uh, they have different customs than we do, but it's told from the perspective of one person sitting at a ceremony. And he doesn't move the entire time. He's just sitting there discussing this thing. And yet we learn about this entire world just from his perspective. And I felt like that was one of my favorite things that I accomplished was be, you know, being able to invite people in to learn this thing without, with, with very little action happening. He doesn't even get up, nothing happens, but everything happens. And I feel like that's a really interesting exercise in either direction of it, like you said, I'm just going to let you in on this scene. You don't need to know anything else. Enjoy the scene. See ya. Shut door. You know, bye-bye. Or, you know, oh, wow. Like I've just presented this entire, you know, world to you. But I think both are fantastic. Sometimes I, giving I, the whole world is too much. Uh, it's true. Jen, let's hear from somebody who can't stop herself, please. <laughs> I, I suck at this. But I was just reading a book last night and the author did it's a, it's a dinner scene with someone who's just gotten back from traveling. And I learned more about the world in their little like, so what have you been, you know, what did you see? And it was like this snippet, this, and it was so well done. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to take notes and learn how to do that. I just can't end a story. That's my problem. But I wanted to ask you, so what, like, I'm guessing you read a lot of short stories. Like who, who are your favorites? Like, what do you, do you follow certain people? Do you model like, how do you I, get that good? <laughs> my, uh, my favorite, I have my issues with, with Mr. Chuck Palahniuk. I do, Palahniuk, I do, oh, but I love okay. him. I will ne I never want to meet him. I never, ever want to see him face to face, but I want to fuck the shit out of his talent. I love him. I love him so love very it. much. Um, there's a lot of authors I feel that way about that. I'm like, oh, I love you. I would make out with your talent, but you as a human being, like we should never meet because I will stop liking everything that you've done. I read Palahniuk, everything he's ever written probably. And I, I read him along with Poe and um, Amy Hempel. I'm not, a lot of people aren't familiar, Amy yeah. Hempel. Yeah. So Amy Hempel um, recently just uh, read a short story collection called Friday Black that came out a couple years ago. And I am so bad about remembering author names. 
anyway, fantastic. Look up Friday Black. Uh, it's very, you know, especially right now, a great uh, time to read that collection because it has a lot to do with systemic racism and, um, but in the speculative sort of way, uh, such an accomplishment. So, um, yeah, I would say Palnick is probably my biggest inspiration. And he has a collection called Haunted. He has a few collections. Um, Stories You Can't Unread, I think is the other one. And he is able to give you these amazing characters in a very short, I mean, his are probably more like a couple thousand words, but they will rip your heart out at the same time. They make you gag. They make you feel things even on audio. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard to me, one of the best short stories ever written, at least that I've read uh, is Guts by no, okay. So I'm going to try not to freak out anybody right here because a lot it of people- It doesn't matter if you freak out people. This is your podcast. Freak this everybody is, do it, out. Do it. Well, this is fair. I will say this is the one that uh, Chuck loves to say that if three people faint during the reading, then he's done his job. Um, and it's about a, it starts, the framing narrative is that a young man is, you know, masturbating in his pool and while his family's away and he sits on the suction of, at the bottom of the pool. And he's, yeah, you already know where this is going. I already know where this is going. So while this is all happening and he's kind of, you're getting little bits of like, this is what's happening. I'm about to like, you know, come or whatever. He's also telling you about his friend's stories of like mishaps and masturbation. Like somebody gets a piece of wax stuck in their penis. Somebody gets a carrot stuck up their butt. Like, you know, like, and it stays there. Like it's not like, oh, and then they take it out. They like lose it there. So um, things like that. And then, by the end, you are a little grossed out, but you're also like, man, what's going to happen to this kid? And, you know, he gets his intestines sucked out of his butt. So there's that. And, you know, to me, though, every single, it just keeps escalating, right? Like it just kept escalating. And by the end, I needed resolution on everyone's story, even though I knew I wasn't going to get it. And it's hard to read and it's hard to listen to, but it's amazing in its construction. And I think that's what I love about short stories is it's a craft. It is like 100% like, like I said, you can't lose a line because if you lose a line, you lose the entire story. Yeah. And one of the things like we have the author's accountability guide, which I cannot stress enough. Jen, is it within hands read so you can hold it up to the camera? Author's accountability guide. Yay. I can't even stress the author's accountability planner because we have exercises in this planner that have two word exercises because I think being able to write a short thing in five minutes, regardless of, okay, stop showing. I appreciate the shame and self-promotion, but um, here for you. I, I think being able to write, um, take two words and write a short story in five minutes, you're going to suck at it in the beginning generally, but you can realize what you can do in that time period and the story you can tell in that and I think it's something that every author should know how to do. I don't care if you write a 120,000 word sci-fi story generally. You should be able to tell a story in five minutes about something. And I think that's part of it because a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of authors. I want to say there are some people that use too much filler to tell a story without realizing how much filler they are telling the story. Mm -hmm. versus letting the person kind of imagine like when I was younger my biggest thing with books was the imagination that I can put into it like yeah. Chuck does not describe his characters very well like no. you have to build the character in your mind regardless if it's his whole book or not and I was telling somebody the other day 
I'm bringing up one of his popular ones. One of my favorite books he has is Choke, but that's a whole different level of thing. But um, (laughs) is Fight Club because a lot of people know Fight Club, right? Everybody knows Fight Club. I said, but read the fucking book because you get to know these characters. And when you have that pivotal moment of realizing, like I tell people all the time, the main character doesn't have a name. The entire book, he doesn't have a name. And that's his fucking skill set to write a book where the main character has no name and is not referred to by anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not and supposed to talk about Fight Club. You're not supposed <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I love that, though. And for, uh, you know, I kind of follow that model in a certain way where I will name characters only after um, things that they're holding, things that they've done. I, I have a, a story um, where I just call somebody clipboard the entire time. You know, and I, I love that because like you're saying, you learn even in a full length novel, you learn so much about this character and you don't even realize, I don't, I don't know his name, but it doesn't matter. His name is not important. It's like describing characters. I don't like, unless it's important, I don't want to describe what they look like because I really want that imagination to come through because, you know, what could be, especially in erotica, what could be sexy to one person is not sexy to somebody else so if i say exact attributes that like you know his their face their body whatever other than oh they're a lean otter like that's all i want to give you you don't need to know their eye color you don't you like blue you like brown whatever put it in there project it on there i want it to be you know your fantasy as much as possible so i feel like not unless it's intentional i don't see a reason to describe height or um you know um, body shape, facial hair, any of that. Let people Let's fill in those blanks. Let's talk about fans for a moment. Yes. You can't see if you're watching the video, you can see me doing my evil maniacal fingers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are you going to do when a fan comes up dressed as you Ooh. or dressed as one of your characters? Because oh we've God. been in the time of, you've published in the time of COVID, for yes. lack of a better way of putting it, you published um, this particular series, The House of Otter, in the time of COVID. We're still in the time of COVID, but um, you published during that time. So you have not um, gotten out as much as you would as an um, author to shows, to conventions, to signings, to all this stuff that we would love to do. And we love interacting with our fans. Um and you know people that bought our book but want to say something to us those <laughs> um how do you think you're going to react when you're sitting at it because you're about to be on uh, on the youtubes yes. and somebody comes up dressed as you to your 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 table what are, what? <laughs> that would be so exciting I, oh my god i would love i want to take all the pictures with them i was thinking about do you guys know trixie mattel the yeah, queen, oh, Trixie Mattel. Yes. So I was watching some of her makeup tutorials last night and she was saying that hell is a meet and greet. And I, I get it because it drains you of your battery, right? Of your energy. But just like, I would love for people to come up in a little hat and a little Tom of Finland, like as cat and, you know, talk about, Oh, you know, this, this scene in the book or that scene in the book. I mean, I want some Alexander cosplays. I want, you know, flowy cat suits. I want, you know, heels clicking on pavement, but also full bushy chest hair coming out. I mean, like, I, I love that aesthetic in general life. And I think that's why I put it on the page. And I would love to see people, you know, cosplaying as these characters. So that's a call out, by the way, is soon 
as the amazing Lisa Sparks can be in public to do book signings and stuff, which we're hoping, all of us, I think, are hoping will be yes. soon. Yes. Absolutely, you need to dress up for him because that would be amazing and he would that take the pictures. So do, you do you think that, um, you know, when you're talking about the feedback, talk a little bit about the feedback you've gotten because outside of being a writer you're a very social creature and you do marketing and you're like this yes. amazing person so talk about a little of the feedback you've gotten from your fans I think that some of the people I've spoken with have told me that they have not seen characters like this before that they were able to be a little feminine but also be masculine and also like bring in the leather community the BDSM community you know all that sort of stuff they just hadn't read that before. I think some people are into the Poe aspect of it as well. And they can see the little like Easter eggs I've hidden in there that, you know, flow with the, the source material. Um, I've spoken with a, a few of the, the, I don't know, I feel bad saying female readers, lady readers, women readers. How do I phrase that? Because female sounds really strange to me when I, I say don't, it. I don't think it, I don't think it sounds strange. I think if we don't start acknowledging that there's a difference. There's a difference between a female reader and a male reader of this particular thing. Because you're going to have female readers, male readers, and you're going to have people who are LGBTQA plus yeah. that read it. Because you could have a female reader and she could be a lesbian or she could be bisexual. That's true. Absolutely. I think what Leo's getting at is this word female has taken on a negative connotation because yes. of the community that uses it. And so when you want to be mean to women, you say, well, females do that. Exactly. And I don't, I don't that like that. <laughs> No, I, that's not, I don't so know how to say it. I don't. I'm going to say fem people. That's what I'm going to say. Just say people who have vaginas currently. No, that's not, that, <laughs> not, that's not accurate either. That's true. I think, how about people who identify as um, uh, not males? Okay, we can go with that. So uh, they uh, they seem to be interested in the fact that the there's like some tenderness but that there's like this withholding at the same time. And that I feel like that's a really interesting thing to kind of tap into is this, um, this need that we all have of being loved, but also understanding or, or not just love, but having like intimacy and sex and, and also trying to understand the reasons people hold back and that there, there is an explanation you know, for most of these things. And we can have the sexy sex. And we've talked about this before, um, Erica and I, about male, male erotica, there's an expectation of it's going to be bang, bang on the page. And that's all you're going to get, right? Like, it's going to be sexy sex. And, you know, not so much for story, like, oh, I walked into the, the deli, and now we're fucking and it's like, okay, but who are you? Why were you at the deli? What were you going to order? I'm very curious. That's going to tell me who you are as an individual. What, when was the last time you went to therapy? Like, I have questions. And that to me makes the sex better. And I, I like to think that putting that on the page as well, um, readers have tapped into that and they enjoy the fact that they do know where these characters are coming from, even as the mysteries of the house are being kind of like slowly unveiled and the other characters are coming into the picture that we really get some one-on-one -on -one time, especially in Alexander's head. Like that's something I know not everybody loves on a page is when so much happens just internally. But I think those emotions are important for, for sex and for BDSM is what is going on in your head? Why are you still here? Are you okay? That was <laughs> What you said is important because it's very easy to try to just put 
porn on a page. Like it's so easy to just put porn on a page, but, and not that it's not telling a story, but I think it's, it's very different when a person can identify with some part of the character, regardless of gender, regardless of sexuality, you are talking about people who identify potentially as not males and um, as, you know, women or whatever, you know, I, I hate labels, labels. Crazy, <laughs> we need better words. <laughs> we do. But it's interesting because when you see and you read your stories, first of all, the story itself, if even if you took all the sex out of the story, right? The it's, story itself is fucking amazing. It's right? just fascinating to see inside his head. And the whole time I was like, somebody just give Alexander a hug. Like that's just <laughs> a hug and a clean, a clean glass of orange juice. Just right. a, clean, a clean cup would be wonderful. <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> But it was just interesting, like, even as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, my, I could see from the outside. I'm like, okay, I understand why you're doing all that. I disagree with, I just need you to not do yeah. make the choices, but I understand why you're making the choices. Right. And I thought He's that was not necessarily really... making good choices, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but watch, I, that was fascinating. I think a lot of people don't and can relate to that because... We go through life, I was literally having this conversation, not literarily, but literally <laughs> having this conversation earlier today that, you know, I'm at a point in my life that I have sort of been there, done that, and have many t-shirts from really stupid things or things <laughs> that were not wise. Shut up, Jen. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't say anything. You didn't have to, you fucking bitch. I have known you for 20 plus years. I do not need the judgment on this podcast. <laughs> But I think, you know, it was interesting because I was talking and I was talking to somebody who's 24 years old. Mm. And I was like, the thing is, it doesn't matter what I tell you. I hope you listen to me. But I, I was where you were and I've made these choices. And I think one of the things that um, books and literature can do for us is it can sometimes answer questions we didn't know need to be answered for us. Yeah. to make choices for us. And I think that your stories have a huge impact, even though we can stand back and go, oh, they're Edgar Allan Poe and they're male and male erotica and all this. But there are some really interesting choices your characters have to make that people, if you look back at it, go, that's actually kind of intense that the person mm -hmm. got to that stage and had to make those choices. Do you see how I'm doing this without giving any of the plot away? Yeah, no, and it's difficult, that. right? It's difficult to to discuss it because it is, even if you've read, uh, read you know, The Fall of the House of Usher and, and read the source material, it, it still is far enough away from it that a lot's, you know, going to happen that I don't want to give away, you know, you know, too much of it. But yeah, absolutely. There's some intense decisions that they are, you know, not just Alexander, but a lot of the characters are faced with and especially when you do know the backstory of one of the other major characters, for sure. It's it's kind of like, how did we get here and why are we still doing this? And how do we feel about the whole thing? But like you're saying, you know, young people, you know, and, and the character of Alexander is in his mid-20s, you know, approximately. You have to make these decisions on your own and you have to make these mistakes. And you have to get the fun t-shirts and you have to hang them up in your closet and be like, yep. Yep, did that. Because if you don't make those mistakes, you're losing out on so much character development. And no matter what somebody older tells you as far as like, oh, I've done that. It's not a good idea. It's 
it doesn't make a difference. You've got to let everybody kind of walk that path. And with Alexander, he may be saying in the beginning, he doesn't really know what he's craving. It's just something. He needs something. And this maybe is or is not the path he needed to take to, to get to that next step. Well, it's true. But, I, you know, it's funny because I realized in a lot of guidance I had, I was talking to somebody about it, is you can't tell somebody not to do something. What you can go is, hey, if you're going to go down this path, you may want to consider these safety precautions. For yeah, like bring knee pads. That's all I'm saying. Like, you're going to need them. Just bring knee pads. Like, do the thing. Pads, bring some condoms. It's yeah, going to be exactly. fine. Take this with you. Here, I'm going to give you a little just-in-case case. That's what I call them. Like, yes. Here's some lube, some condoms, some, th- here you go. Just, but make, make good choices. Like- Have you ever heard of, uh, I'm going to write this into, I, hopefully I'm going to write this into the next series uh, that I know we're going to talk about at some point, but uh, have you ever heard of the homo happy meal? So no, but now I'm vaccinated. You tell. Apparently this, this comes from um, somebody that I knew that worked in a, a sex shop. Uh, and they said that gay men would come in uh, and they would get like a single pill of lube, a condom and a little bottle of poppers. And they just started like it was like the, the order was so like it was the same all the time from all these different men. They just started packaging it together. Hey, why do you have poppers? What? <laughs> I love that. I love that you have. A- <laughs> I'm not going to any explanation. I'm just going to do this. And if you're Wait. not watching, you have no idea what the fuck is happening. So I ahead. hope that was inspired by me and talking about... It um, actually was, but for totally different reasons. Anyway. Fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I, you know, and it's such a, a it's kind of a, a symbol in the, the queer community. And that's why I modeled those stickers that I, I recently, they aren't for sale. There are but they stickers from Leo Sparks that have <laughs> otters and poppers. I'm they just do. Saying. And they're holographic. And they're, fan. Okay. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think that that term is so, so good. And I want to put it somewhere. I, I miss that about the, the, what people are, people have stopped saying the pandemic. I've noticed there's like the panoramic, the Honda replay, the pandemic more. Um, so I, uh, I feel like what I miss the most is talking to people out in everyday life and going, Oh, homo happy meal. I'm taking that. Thank you. That is mine. Now it belongs to me. You will find it in a book. Here you so go. For this, I have this in my uh, erotica novels, the just in case case, which has condoms, lube, um, uh, throat numbing, oh, mouth, uh, a mince and a uh, sanitary wipe. Hey, Cannot go wrong with that. <laughs> that is the just-in-case case. I really seriously want to make the Randy Michaels just-in-case case because every fucking person, I don't care what gender you identify with or a non-gender, have a just-in-case case. Fucking have one. I call it a and slut bag. Since I learned what poppers do, <laughs> throw one of those in there, I'm fine with that. I think yes. it's a freaking brilliant idea. Be careful to make sure that cap is on tight, though, because I can tell you lots of stories about those things coming on cap and being like, oh, oh, okay. And then your entire gym bag smells like poppers or something along those lines. So Listen, they say on them that they're like nail polish remover. That's all I'm going to say. This one's called Jungle Juice, and it says nail polish remover. That's an OG Jungle Juice. That is one of the originals. <laughs> they can only sell these as uh, room, deodorizers, room deodorizers, nail polish removers, and VHS uh, head cleaners. Yeah. Like, 
you know, that's how you have to buy them in a, in a sex shop. I think kind of like how you walk into a head shop and you're not supposed to say bong. Like you can't go into a sex shop and be like, I'd like some poppers to, you know, relax me, please. You're like, uh, I need to clean my VHS player. Like, you know, just some stupid. Yeah, do you know what a popper is used for? <laughs> I'm picking it up from context clue. <laughs> it's a real, it smells like Lysol. You inhale it up your nose and it relaxes everything. Okay. It that was what relax. I was thinking. Parts of your body that sometimes will not like an intrusion. Yes, fair. Okay. And, you know, this, for anybody who doesn't know, we can, you know, we can, I'll just segue us into uh, you, you know, you asking me when I'm going to come out with this next series. Yes. So I'm going to just because this may be on the cover of the next book. It may be. (laughs) So we all know about the, the, uh, we talked about how the cast of Amontillado is my favorite. And uh, as of all the post stories, and I, I want to do a take on that where instead of searching for fine wine for the Amontillado, they are instead searching the catacomb, so to speak, of a uh, abandoned wing of a gay resort searching for these artisanal poppers. And so that is the big, you know, journey that we're taking to go and get these. Maybe they don't smell like Lysol, because I'm hoping to Ugh. God they don't. Because they all smell saying. like Lysol and Fabuloso, and they just smell terrible. Like, I mean, good for your floors, bad for your body. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, when they start off with, should be used to clean a VCR, you probably should, yeah. If it can take off my nail polish, I should not be inhaling it. Yes. I do. I yeah. I can definitely. Understand I love the look on Jen's face right now. It makes me. <laughs> so have you? So uh, as a publisher, I already have some inside track, but I'm asking as a drinking with authors and have finished quite a bit of my wine. Um, yes. So when can we expect? Um, so the next series is called uh, "Murders at the Dude Morgue." which is based on uh, Murders at the Rue Morgue. And that's the title of the entire, you know, uh, trilogy. And we will be solving a different murder in each book. And he says trilogy after writing four books for the last trilogy. Yeah. So Don't, everybody hold on to your fucking pants with whether or not that's going to be a trilogy. Trilogy plus. Yeah. <laughs> the Douglas Adams, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. If more material comes comes out of something, I'm not, I'm not upset about it. <laughs> so... Um, I think your newest book is, uh, is it released or is it about to be released? It is up for pre-order, I believe, but it is not, it is about to be, uh, officially released. On, in the beginning of March. So when can we expect the first of the murders at the Duke March? Oh, hopefully shortly. I am, I'm working on it still, you know, pounding away at um, the pacing of everything because, you know, you're looking at a story, the original Poe story is, is um, one of the shorter ones. And I, I'm still wanting to, it's, you know, it's a novella. So I'm, I'm taking the pacing slowly, but we're going to get there. I, I would say I, definitely before the summer. I mean, that's on how long it takes once it like gets into your hands. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, we're not going to discuss that because that's, <laughs> that's the magic behind the curtain. Yes, but exactly. What do you think, you know, I, 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 it's so weird for me to ask this as both your publisher slash your host here. But what do you think about a full length novella? Have you thought about full length novellas yet? I mean, full length novels. Wow. 
Wine. It's fine. That? I'm doing fine. I didn't open the poppers. <laughs> Nobody judged. No, and fine. then you just hang up with your jungle juice is just ripped open. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> nobody judged. <laughs> um, I would love to flex that muscle at some point and learn how to, you know, effectively write an entire novel. I think my first love will always be short fiction. I, I just love the craft of short fiction. And, uh, but I do want to be multifaceted and learn how to do every sort of, you know, duration. And I think pacing is super important because you never want anything. I want to get to the point with um, a full length novel where I feel the same way about short fiction, where you cannot waste a line. You absolutely cannot, you know, let's say it's 60,000 words. I want every single one of those sentences to punch you in the face or else why is it there? You know, it's, it, and I feel like I will get to that point. So I feel, I feel, you know, I know novels are the thing. People love a novel, um, which is interesting, right? With the way our attention spans are, you would think the thing right now would be short stories, but I don't think they, unless it's like a collection, I don't think they sell as well. I don't I know think for sure. Short story, I mean, as a collection, and that's more monetary than I think length because of, publishing and we're not going to go down that track you know i feel fucking publishing works because um you know how i feel publishing works. so we're not going to go down that path but i think that it would be very interesting because your writing is so and for those listening and i'm not saying this as the publisher and um uh jen who's a reader can say this like when um leo is talking about his sentences and making sure what he's saying has an impact it's fucking incredible because it does mm -hmm. and not everybody even that writes short short stories and as a short story writer i can say this as if i'm an expert um really it's the wine that's making me an expert but <laughs> it's super um, he's in you yeah but it's it's amazing and i think the fact that you are writing based on Poe, you've done him complete justice in your oh. work. I hope and so. Jen is our PhD in English literature, can now speak her view on that. <laughs> well, yeah, I just think it's great that you took like the essence of Poe, the feeling of Poe, and you added this whole new story on top of it with all of this depth and these interesting characters. Like, it's out of my wheelhouse. It's not stuff that I normally read. Um, I was like, Alexander, this poor guy. Um, <laughs> But like you, you did all of that without losing that atmosphere of Poe. It's really well done. I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's difficult when you're, you admire and respect work and you're like, I would like to write something based on this, but I was kind of uh, taking the Anne Rice model. I loved how, you know, Anne Rice under her pen name decided to write the claiming of sleeping beauty, which claiming Alexander is a nod to. But, um, you know, she wrote The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty and taking this this fairy tale or this kind of well-loved story and being like, okay, how can I make it sexy? How can I keep that sort of, you know, magical atmosphere, but also, you know, um, write about these these characters that you you know in a certain way. But, I mean, I, for anybody who hasn't read uh, the Sleeping Beauty series, it is a uh, adventure. I'll just say it's an adventure. There are <laughs> butt plugs that I admire in that story. <laughs> I learned yeah. so many things from that story. There so are so many, but I'm just going to say like, I do admire the butt plugs. Um, <laughs> and that's not often on a podcast you get to say lines like, I admire the butt plugs. So I'm just going to be saying that until it 
Didn't Anne Rice also introduce the, the concept of butt plugs with the ponytails on the end? Well, I ironically, like... those actually already existed. So I can say this from um, when we're not in the world of the pandemic or whatever we want to call it, the Rona. <laughs> um, uh, FetishCon invited us to talk as um, erotica writer erotica writers i'm fine one <laughs> and um one of the things that they talk it's drinking with others i can drink however much i want exactly but one of the things you haven't drunk a lot of your gin i'm just gonna say it's I'm happening gonna- i'm just subtle I-, I hide it in my green screen and you never know it's happening i don't okay <laughs> But one of the things that was interesting is when we did a panel, which Honey Cummings lost her shit when we were doing it because she was bright red the entire fucking time. <laughs> but um, next door to us was a pony play. And they were discussing pony play and how you do it and how you do it safely. Yeah. And all of this stuff. And there were people and stuff. And I think there's a lot of stuff like that Anne Rice discussed. I think there's a lot of things that are discussed that have been going on for fucking years and there's communities that do it and even some of the stuff that happens in your book not giving away secrets but (laughs) um that is something that for that particular group of people that particular community however you want to word it properly that is into that particular activity yeah has been going on but we as a community i think as in I think a lot of it is actually America doesn't realize how repressed they are sexually. Puritans. And not that means mm-hmm. you have to be into things that you're uncomfortable with, but just discussing things. Yeah. And so having this pony play in the room next to us and seeing these guys with their saddles on and the riders and yeah. the butt plugs with the tails and all of this stuff that were in place yes. with these ponies. Love it. And being like, awesome. And like, how could we have a better location than next to the pony playroom? Oh, I hope that happens again and I get to come because that was so much fun. But it's interesting being in that environment and you can have that, oh my God, that's weird. Like, no, I do not want to saddle on my back. That's not my thing. But if that's your thing and that makes you feel great, I think as a community and as the world, we have to go, you 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 do your thing whatever your thing is you do it yeah absolutely especially if you're not you know hurting anybody you know that hasn't consented and it's all adults you know i think push the limits what else can you do i am excited to to see what people come up with i don't know if you remember um it's all wiped from you know in this mandela effect sort of way this is wiped from the human you know consciousness but there was this thing on hbo a long time ago back in the taxicab confessions sort of late night days called real sex yeah oh yeah i'm so glad it exists in our memories because you cannot <laughs> find it anywhere it does it, really? it, hbo is like we never did this it was incredible though and it would dive into all these different fetishes pony play mm-hmm. and you know uh, just everything and you could learn from the people actually talking about it about why they enjoyed it what they got out of it and it was incredible they were having so much fun and there's nothing like seeing people having a good time right like i don't care if it's sex or whatever it is they're just having fun and living life and i am so here for that and i think that every person should experiment to find what their thing is because unless you try different things and there are some things you just know that are not your thing right and i'm not going to go down the list 
<laughs> whatever that fucking look just was, whatever. That's, that's <laughs> true. I was agreeing with you. Okay, I couldn't tell. That look wasn't, I wasn't sure if that was agreeing <laughs> or just going, Erica's drunk and she shouldn't be talking. But I'm good. No, she's used to that. What am I saying? But I think that <laughs> there are all these different things. And I was actually having a, a conversation with somebody about polygamy, right? Mm. Because they, are very interested in women and they're very interested in men. And I said to them, why don't you have both? And literally it was like a mind blowing communication that I said that, that you don't have to have just one. You can have both. And there's so many people that want that kind of relationship. Polyamory is a great time, honestly, because you, you have multiple incomes and as long as you can sync your, your calendars together, it's, it's a, it's a fun time. My drawback with being in a polyamorous relationship, it was a few years ago and being in a throuple was that there's really never enough room on a bed ever. And somebody always has to sleep in the middle and you have to be like, move, like I got to get out. And you find yourself like doing a somersault to get down to the end of the bed to get a glass of water. So that's the big drawback there. But otherwise, so evolved. Like you want multiple partners, you, you, you know, I could get into this all day, but like not expecting some one single person to be everything you need in life. So evolved. I love that. It's true. And if you do not explore and find out and get rid of all of these limitations on what you think people expect of you versus what you want in the world i think it's like that's one of my mantras like fucking go explore find your thing and whatever your thing is own it if you have consensual agreement for with whatever your thing is there's a whole there's a huge furry community here Mm -hmm. if your thing is to be fucked by a wolf go get fucked by a wolf Absolutely. Regardless of what gender that wolf is, if that's your item, knock yourself out. But (laughs) own it and be willing to go, I'm fine with it. Okay. Yeah. We get totally correct here. Real real quick, I wanted to mention um, a Margaret Cho stand-up thing uh, about realizing you're not into something but still trying it. There's this stand-up thing, this bit she does, where she talks about being in a BDSM club and she has a hood on and it's got a zipper over the mouth and the zipper's closed and they're like tying her up and somebody's about to like do some things to her and she's just like, wait a minute. And she unzips it. She goes, you know what? I don't think this is for me. And then, <laughs> and that image of her just like unzipping the hood to be like, Mm-mm, no, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, I feel like that, but she tried it, you know, and that's the point. And I think mm-hmm. that's the point of having and knowing your own voice in your own communication that this is your boundary or this is not your boundary and being willing to explore that but also at the same time feeling comfortable in your own skin to communicate what that is and it's okay to communicate that you could go to something and go this is not my thing or you know what i'm willing to try Nah, i'm not interested but (laughs) knowing you can do that you know what erotica is good for also is dipping your toe in like there may be people that are interested, you know, I can speak just as far as like the, the, the House of Otter series. There may be people interested in what would it be like to be in a hierarchy and within like a leather type community. And they're not quite ready to like make that commitment of like, yes, I want to be a boy or a sub or a this or a that or a dom or a daddy or whatever, you know, turn they're comfortable with. But they're curious how other people would live that life. And so reading a story and getting to experience it just just through that, you know, and using your imagination can, I think, help go, okay, yeah, I think I am into this or no, that kind of sounds a little bit, you know, um, like you're too strict, 
you know, or something like that. But you can learn from reading about these things. And that's why it is important that we're writing about it and, and you know, putting that representation out there. I wonder if there's a lot of pony books. We gotta ask the ponies next pony time. Books. I'm, yeah? I'm not gonna lie, we probably <laughs> should find some pony books to publish under Four Horsemen. They look like they're having more fun than anyone. They yeah, might win the fun category. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have to wrap up, but Leo, can you give us some uh, advice for writers out there? I think the most important thing for writers, especially if you're you're just starting out, or even if you're you know uh, you've been writing for a while, like I was, you know, up until you know 2016, go meet writers. Just go meet them, even if they don't. You know, you do it online right now during the panorama. That works too. Like find a Discord, find a Facebook group, um, find you know whatever uh, on Instagram, and just connect with these people outside of your genre, in your genre. You know, even things you would never read because everyone has this different journey going on and pooling our resources as far as um, that different, you know, different things that we've learned and, and this different journey that we're all on is so important. It's not only the networking that opens doors, but it's meeting people that love the written word as much as you do. Cause you will encounter a bunch of people in your life that are like reading. Yeah, whatever. But then you meet those people that are like, I don't have a choice, but to write this story. I have to write, I, you know, and, and once you connect with those people, your writing life will change. I love that. I, I love, love that. that. That's good. Okay. So tell people um, without giving your home address, I don't know why I have to <laughs> give that disclaimer, but an author did that. So I have oh, no. to, um, seriously, that happened on a show. Um, tell people how to find you. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, I believe author Leo Sparks is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those. And my website is leosparks.com without the author in the front. Uh, yeah, I, I typically post uh, mostly about the, the books and different promotions and things like that. Sometimes you can get the books for free, which is a lot of fun. Um, but also you can get uh, the, the prequel that we were talking about before, Alexander. You can get that for free on the website right now. So, you know, go ahead, sign up, get the newsletter, get the book. Uh, but I forgot what else I was going to say. That was very important. Now that, the gym's That happens me. when we drink after a <laughs> while. That, that does happen. And I'm proud of that. Okay, so this has been Drinking with Authors. I have been Erica Lambs. J.M. Paquette. And our guests have been Leo Sparks. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye.